You may have seen our guest today's video before you call the cops. It has gone viral more than once. It is an important message. And our conversation today with Tyler Merritt is going to entertain you and make you think. Stay tuned. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison, founder of boysalive.com. I don't know about you, but one of the most stressful things that I deal with on a nearly daily basis is what to make for supper. I was just going to ask you, what's for supper tonight, Jen? I don't know. I have no idea. And it's almost noon, my time. I don't know. I need help in this department. And that is why I'm so thrilled that Cozy now has meal ideas, recipes right in the app that I can look at. I can add ingredients straight to my list and I can meal plan on my calendar for the week. Okay. Let's back up. Cozy is an app that helps you get organized calendars, doctor's appointments. And I think one of the best things, as you're saying, is grocery lists. Your kids can add items to the grocery list and you can stand there in the grocery store going, oh my gosh, what am I making for dinner tonight? Pull up cozy and there's recipes and ingredients and you are ready to go. Anything that makes my life easier and is on my phone, which is with me almost all the time. Fantastic. Cozy, go to the app store. You can set up an account. You can add all of your children. You can add your spouse. Anybody can add to the grocery list. You know, they all have their phones on them anyway. Coordinate and communicate. It's Cozy, C-O-Z-I. Download it from your app store and oh, meal planning just got so much easier. And now on boys. Listeners, you may have already seen and heard today's guest. In 2018, he created and recorded a powerful video. 
before you call the cops. Bare chested, bare faced, he looked straight into the camera and bared his soul, begging viewers to look past his dark skin, his dark eyes, and his dreadlocks. That video went viral, which is why you may have seen it, and it went viral again after the murder of George Floyd. Sadly, that video has not gone out of style. It has not gone on to be not necessary. Tyler Merritt is the man behind the video. He is an actor, a musician, and an author of the recently released book, I Take My Coffee Black, Reflections on Tupac, Musical Theater, Faith, and Being Black in America. And if that title does not convince you to pick up a book, I just, I don't know what to do with you. Tyler, welcome. Hey, I just want to say, I am so honored to be here with you, Jennifer and Janet. It makes my heart so happy. And I, I'm not sure, is this podcast, people can see it as well? No, or it'll just, just be, okay. it's just audio. Yeah. Well, I, it makes my heart sad that they can't see your faces because you all are, <laughs> you're, you're beautiful and wonderful. And I really am honored to be here. Well, back at you, Tyler. You know, on the surface, quick glance, it would seem like you and I, Janet and you, would seem like we don't have much in common. You are a tall black man with dreadlocks. I am five foot six on a good day, middle-aged white woman. You grew up in Vegas. I've never even been to Vegas. Um, mm. But what you point out and what you make so clear in your videos and in your books is there's so much more to all of us than these quick judgments that we all make of each other. And that frankly, we all have to navigate as we go about the world. And right. that is such a powerful message that I really want to want to dig into today. You know, our boys and our men, and especially our black and brown boys and men, they are constantly navigating a whole lot of expectations. People who will glance at you and assume you're trouble, you're a predator, before they know anything about you. Right. I, I think that there's something we need to understand too with young men, whether of color or just in general, is there becomes a certain expectation that comes upon boys, whether it be from, and I talk about this a lot in my book, whether it be from, like in my case, it was my father. At a young age, my wanting and desire to please my father had me kind of locked into playing sports and my expectations were to pour everything I could into that which now looking back psychologically I had this thing of just wanting my father to be proud of me so even though it wasn't something that was my heartbeat because I was a big strong young black man and he was from the south and to him succeeding meant sports right um I, I poured my myself into that. So there was this expectation there, right? Then you have the general expectation, say you don't have a father around. You have the expectation to take care of your mother, to be mm -hmm. the head of the household, to mm -hmm. be the lead. And with that comes along the expectations to do whatever is necessary to make that happen. I talk about in my book, I worked at a church for a while and there were young men who would come in and I, I worked in a, in a pretty low economic area here in Nashville and young men would steal my iPad or they would steal money from me. And it wasn't personal. It, and these were friends that I had, they, they, they were my youth kids that relied on me. 
It wasn't mm-hmm. personal. It was a matter of what can I do for my mother and my little brother to have food on the table. Another expectation that, that lays on a young man, lays on a boy, and it could be an, on any um, level, right? But those were mm-hmm. just the two that I walked through. There was a, these continual expectations. And then you have what the world expects. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's a whole separate look of when somebody just looks at you and goes, hmm, who are you? Or they think they're being discerning and they think that they know. But what we don't understand, what I didn't understand as a young man growing up, is that it was going to end up being all those intricacies, all of those little things in me, my, my sports love that eventually turned into theater love, that eventually turned into my crazed girls love that turned into, you know, loving rock music and all of those things. It was, it was those intricacies that were going to make me special. And I wish I would have known at a young age, Jennifer, that those moments I was living through were gonna be the things that were going to be the most beautiful about me. It's so hard because all of these expectations, right? Whether it's your parents' expectations that you're sensing, it's the the stereotypes of this is what a man does. This is what a boy does. There's all of this. And when you're young, you're not even, you're not consciously aware you're swimming in all of this. So you're trying to figure out who you are mm-hmm. and everybody's saying, be this. That is so much to unpack. The reality is, is I think most boys are just trying to do the best they can. Yeah. You know, yeah. and trying not to get lost in the midst of it. Yeah. And I wish somebody had really sat down with me as a young person and simply said, hey, Tyler, you are going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. And those mistakes are going to go on for a very, very long time. But listen, young man, do not let those mistakes ruin you. Do not let those mistakes define you. Let those mistakes become your fuel, your fire to burn stronger and become the man that can help change the world. I love that. I don't want to miss this aspect of expectations. And that has to do with school. I was an educator for many years. And we know through research that the tendency of adults to perceive young boys of color as older than they are Mm. is devastating for our boys. And so, you know, you've got a first grader who might be tall, who knows, but it's in general, those boys are perceived to be older. So of course the expectations of their behavior of their, you know, what they can do in school, their academics is, is skewed. And so, you know, our boys struggle, all our boys, many of our boys struggle in school anyway, because they're the academics and, and their development is not in line. And I think our boys of color have another barrier set up against them in this way. 100%. I also feel, I don't want to dig too much into historical racism. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to sneak in a lot of history in my book without making it feel super heavy, like you're reading this really heavy, laden historical book. But I'm going to interrupt you and give you a shout out here. Readers, he does an excellent job of that. The history is woven into the story in such a way that it's just like it's helpful 
and I hate to use the word entertaining because I mean, <laughs> you're talking about some serious stuff that is not entertaining, but it's engaging. It's not history class. I appreciate entertaining of uh, you using that word because that was my, that was my goal. I want to talk about that here in a second too. Speaking of kids of color in school, historically, Black people have been told that they do not need to be educated. We were told originally to not read. Reading was, was punishable by death at a period of time. If we don't think that that does not attach to our psyche down years and years and years and years and years, it's not that far away from my parents' parents' parents. Right. <laughs> You, you know what I'm right, saying? Right. So, so you have to take in consideration, say, for instance, my parents growing up in the South, they ended up falling deeply in love with education. But even them, they didn't go to college when it was my time to go to college. So I talk about how I made some mistakes and I ended up going to a school that I owe a ton. I owed a ton of money to because I didn't take the free scholarship to another school. Like I, there were just mm -hmm. education holes in there, right? And this was coming from someone who came from a family that graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's not this historical wealth, this historical investment in education in Black families all over the United States, where when we're sitting in class in first grade, we're thinking to ourselves, let's get through this elementary school education because one day it's going to matter what our scores are once we get to high school. It's going to matter then where our placement is going to be once we go into college. It's starting to change now because there are so many incredible educators and so many Black people that are really pouring into or, or Black and Brown people pouring into people of kids of color. But that, that's a stigma and an expectation that's there that isn't talked about a lot. That's such a good point. When you said, you know, your parents' parents Every single one of us listening, think about it. Right now, I am being affected by things that happened to my parents' parents. I just spent time in my journal this morning untangling some of that. Whatever yeah. dysfunction was there a generation ago, two generations, three, four, it is still affecting my family today. Right. And that is true for all of us. So thank you for highlighting that because it's really short-sighted to just think that, you know, this kid is just in the classroom. Yeah. Learn, learn away. For sure. Let me comment really quick about the entertainment. You said entertainment a minute ago, and I'm so glad that you did. When I sat down to write, I take my coffee black. For some people that are like super hardcore readers, I don't think they like hearing this because so many authors write books specifically for these hardcore readers. I went the other direction. I wrote a book for people that don't typically read or people that um, are much, they're much more likely to listen to an audiobook mm -hmm. or to sh toss on a TV show instead. That doesn't mean that I didn't take the con, I, I, I kept the content, right? Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to make it in a way that people felt like as soon as they picked it up, they wanted to keep reading. And that was constantly in my head as I was writing. So I tried to, um, and not tried to, I wanted to have humor on almost every third page of some sort. And not just like, haha kind of humor, but laugh out loud, like look over to your friend and go, hey, oh my gosh, I have to tell you about this thing right now that was said in this book. And what that ended up creating is a community of people that are falling in love with this book in a way that I did not expect. Because not only are they learning, but they're loving it because they feel like 
it's not heavy like some of the wonderful black author books like how to be an anti-racist and this out of the other mm-hmm. this is one of those books where people are handing over to people going you need to read this out of the sheer like i need you to laugh about how he talks yeah. about his mom tyler you are a storyteller First and foremost, you do it in your acting, you do it in your music, and it's in your book. And stories are how we change the world. Stories are Mm. historically how humans connect and convey important things. And you've just channeled all of that. And yet, there's such deep, really serious, serious stuff in here. And I'm going to dive into some of it because it's important that we talk about the challenging things. A little bit ago, you said you wish somebody had sat you down and said, Tyler, you are going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to get through them. Mm. You're going to get through them. You're going to be fine. Better than fine. Life is going to be pretty wonderful. Yeah. I think this message is so important. You know that there is a mental health crisis among youth today. Mm. Suicide rates are through the roof particularly for young boys. And I just saw recent stats, particularly for young black boys. We have black boys as young as 10 years old committing suicide because they feel hopeless. Right. This idea that we can't recover from mistakes is so prevalent in society. And I think that social media kind of amplifies it because like in the eighties, if I made a mistake, it stayed in the (laughs) eighties. Right. Thank God. But if I make a mistake now, there is probably video footage of it on 14 different people's phones, and it can be online before I'm even home. Right. So in this book, you share very bluntly uh, an incident. You were older. You were not a teenager. You were in your 30s, I believe, right? Yes. I was not young. (laughs) Not young. So, you know, your frontal lobe, in theory, Mm -hmm. is fully developed. You are an adult, mature man. And yet, like all of us, you make mistakes. And you sent some pictures that, in hindsight, you probably wish you hadn't sent. Yeah. And then what happened? Uh, Well, thanks for bringing up this part of the book. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks for bringing up the most painful part of my life. Let's talk about it publicly. Um, Well, well, let me say this. And I kind of give a little bit of a disclaimer within the book when I talk about single men and women of a certain age nowadays. Like it's, it's difficult out in these streets, man. Like it's, you know, if you're a single individual in the 2020s, Like we just operate differently than we did back in the day of like, Hey, I'm going to call, I'm going to call your house. Your mom might pick up. Listeners, you can't see us, but Janet right now, she is just (laughs) nodding her head in agreement because if you're a longtime listener, you know, she's been navigating a singlehood for a long time here. And is it tough out there, Janet? It's tough out there. (laughs) I can't even say how tough it is out there. (laughs) Try dating in your 60s, people. This is just a crazy world. (laughs) Yeah. And you just, the, the truth is, is that we communicate on every single level differently. Everything is. Sex is talked about differently. Um, pornography is talked about different the access to pornography for young boys for uh, for us for adults like when i was a kid trying to get pornography was like mission impossible <laughs> right? having to like dig through the entirety of my father's closet and like hope 
no one came home. It was an event trying to find pornography, right? right. Now right. it's not, it's the opposite of an You event. can literally stumble upon it even when you don't mean to. When you don't mean to, like these kids will never understand the struggles we. <laughs> this is right. <laughs> Janet and I have talked about looking in encyclopedias for information. That's, that's right. what I'm saying. We were like, maybe I can go and look in this J.C. Penny catalog <laughs> and find something special, you know. So all of that to say, um, and that's not to give an excuse for the mistakes that we make, but it's we just live in a different time, and in my world. I made two really big mistakes. I talk about it a lot in the book where I have a dysfunction with trusting women that birthed, that had birthed at a very young age in high school. And it grew with me. I never dealt with that. I never, I never really tried to psychologically deal with what the bigger picture was, which then allowed me to oftentimes treat women as objects that I could not trust. Therefore, it allowed me to do things that I just typically wouldn't do now that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more mature and through it. And I would go, hey, I can experience, I can share this really personal, intimate moment with you, somebody who I don't trust, don't know where my information is going to be, don't know the entirety of your life. And in my case, I ended up sharing a moment with a woman who was married that I didn't know was married. Or she at least made me believe that her relationship was over and that did not turn out well. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. Let's be blunt. The human sex drive is incredibly powerful. And I don't think there is a person listening who has not made a bad decision that even in the moment, they sort of knew wasn't the best decision, but right, sure. we have all done that. And certainly our teenage boys are going to do that. I mean, the yeah. desire to connect, to be desired, to perchance have the opportunity to engage in some kind of sexual activity with somebody, even if it's just picture sharing, it's incredibly tempting. 
And I just saw last week an article about sextortion. Are you familiar with that term? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if you're not listeners, the whole idea is like, you know, you're talking with somebody and they ask you to send a, a picture, a video, you know, something. And, and you do because it feels like it's a relationship or you got a shot at this, right? And then they hold this over your head and they say, well, if you don't, it could be give them money. It could be do whatever. It could be if you don't whatever, I am going to share this with your entire family. I am going to share this with your school. Teen boys ages like I think it said 14 to 17 ish. They are the hugest, biggest targets, which makes complete and total sense to me. And I'm sure it does Mm -hmm. to you too, Tyler. Sure, sure. And this is part of why I want to talk about this, because it's so easy to see how, you you know, you, you send a picture out there in the world and there is this threat of it being out there or it gets out there, which is what happened in your case. Yeah. And I mean, you feel just such shame and humiliation. You feel like I can't get past this. And I need our boys to know you can get past this. Yeah, I'll tell you. So what's funny is if you don't know this book at all, or you don't know my story at all, and you're hearing us talk about a book that says talking about Tupac Faith Musical Theater and being Black in America, and suddenly we're talking about inappropriate pictures, you're going, how does this intertwine with everything? I think it's important for the listeners to understand that what I do in this book is I basically allow you to walk with me in proximity. And in the midst of telling you my story, um, some very funny, some very lighthearted, some deep, dark, and intense. I try to cover the span of a Black experience in the midst of that. And so I end up relating this very particular thing that happened to me back into my experience as a Black person. And so it's not just me throwing out this story for entertainment's sake, but there's rooted reasoning behind it. But one of the secondary themes in this book that is, in my opinion, probably as important as the Black story is the idea that what and who are we missing? And I think this is so important for people Mm -hmm. to hear. What and who are we missing? Because we have convinced individuals that they no longer have worth because of the mistakes that they have made. How many great leaders have we missed? How many great faith leaders? How many great political leaders? How many great mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers have decided that they no longer want to do that thing that is significantly just them, that only they can do, because they've decided that those one or two mistakes are things that they can never come back from. And I think it's important to say, in the book, I talk about how I have a special place called The Bench in my life, and I think everybody needs a place where they can go and kind of re re-up themselves. But I remember many a time sitting on my bench with my headphones on, listening to some sort of music, looking out over the water, thinking to myself, I'm never going to be able to tell stories again. I'm never going to be able to communicate these things that I thought would help change the world because there's pictures of me out there that I'm embarrassed over. Or um, people are going to see a deep, dark part of me that I never wanted people to see. But this is what I did not understand in this moment, Janet, Jennifer, in that moment on the bench was (laughs) when you begin to think that you are the only person that fails, failure begins to become a thing of loneliness. You begin to feel alone because you begin to think that you are the only person in the world. 
But if you were able to stop for a minute, look around you and see everybody else that is doing anything else that you'd want to do in the world and understand that there is a possibility that they are as fatally flawed as you are, that it's possible then that you're able to come back because you've seen what they've come through. And for me, in that moment, I remember thinking to myself, I don't need to just come back through this for myself, but I need to come back through this for every young man, every young woman, everyone that I hurt to let them know that we, we can still do great things. And I, I, I just want to say this because I think this is really important in this moment. I talk a lot about my faith in God and, and I don't think everybody needs to have the spiritual connection in their life to come back from something. Like, let me be very clear. Like, but something that happens, especially uh, in people in faith or churches or any sort of religion, whether it's Christian, whether it's Islam, whether, whatever it is, we are, we are trained historically to hide who we are. All the bad stuff, we, we don't want to let people know, right? Like, we, and we, are, it, we will go to far, far, far extremes to make sure people don't really know who we are behind closed doors. Pastors do it every day. I know I remember working in Sunday school and some kid will come in. Um, a pastor's kid will come in and say a cuss word. And I'll say, where'd you learn that? And like, At home, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, pastors are like, no, we never cut. No, we don't. You know, so we are trained as, as kind of spiritual people to very specifically hide who we are. And in this book, I decided to just let go, like, forget all those rules. I went, you know what? All the, all the stuff about how we're not supposed to tell people who we really are because of our faith association screw it. I'm going to tell you everything and I'm going to leave you with deciding on how you want to deal with it. This hiding who we are affects all of us. And it, we're back full circle to the beginning, right? Young boys, so often you're trying to shape yourself to all these expectations and any part that doesn't fit, I'm going to hide because mm. I need to fit in. And you living your life, writing this book, you're saying, yep, I am a black man. And I like musical theater, but you didn't <laughs> see that coming. Yeah, and it's yeah. okay, right? I am a spiritual person. I am involved in my church. And I sent these pictures to a woman who turned out to be married. This is who I am. Yeah. And, and I am a huge supporter of LBGTQ plus community and the trans community. And I also claim to like Jesus, you know, um, which there are so many people in our world now who are religious people who are afraid to even make that statement. Like they'll, you know, they're, they'll, they're okay by saying, of course, you know, yeah, don't tell anybody, but my cousin's gay or my blah, 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 blah. And I love them, but I just don't want anybody to know how I feel about, you know, and, and I talk very clearly in this book about how myself as a black man, and I, and I want to encourage this for young men of color and parents to install this into their children. You have to understand as black men, um, it would be really, really, really ridiculous for me to try to walk throughout this world and not fight for equal rights for all people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the I, anytime that I 
that um, we start talking about equal rights for everyone and I see somebody of color stand up and go, well, let's just wait a minute. I think to myself, th this is what we've been fighting for all of our lives and, and not just for people of color, for all people to have equal rights. And I, and I, and I talk about that a little bit in my book, with, which ruffled a little bit of feathers with not a lot of people, um, but with some people of me not being afraid to say, when I talk about having equal rights for all, I'm not just talking about me and my Black family. You know, I'm talking about all. Yeah. I want to circle back a little bit because I'm, I'm thinking about our listeners out there and these parents who are trying to shape the next generation and bring in this notion of, it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to love musical theater and love Jesus and all the things. And they stand at this crossroads of the generations before them and the expectations and that you don't talk about X, Y, Z, and you don't say you learned your cuss words from me. How do we like, how, how do we get that switch to happen? And it's so hard as parents to convey to our young boys of, you know, we're still back on the, it's okay to cry. Yeah. yeah. This is a slow road we're on here. Well, can I, I'm so glad you asked that question because let me tell you the two biggest things that I get from the, the two biggest comments that people make from the book after they read it. First, one, people are loving it, which I love, which I, I can't be, I, I, I can't even begin to talk about how great that makes me. But here's, here's the two things that people say. They say, first, is your mother going to write a book? <laughs> and two, how does your mom and dad, how do your mom and dad feel about this book? That you as a grown man, went and put all this stuff out there, you know, because I talk about in the book how my um, obsession with women and sexuality at a young age came from the fact that I was a latchkey kid. And when you're growing up and nobody's, or parents aren't around, like you either drink, smoke or have sex. Like, and I was like, there's no parents around. Or all you of know? them. Or, or all. all of them, right? <laughs> and so now looking back, people are going, dude, you became an adult and basically you're telling your parents, like, you kind of put the, the lack of you being around played into a part of my dysfunction, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm glad you asked this because I want to, I want to encourage parents with this. I'm a grown ass man now. And my parents, when they were raising me, were not thinking about the 45 year old man I was going to become. They were thinking about me in that moment and them trying to do the best that they could to raise that young boy, the best that they could. And they did. Right. Mm -hmm. But this young boy was going to go on and, and, and he's going to eventually make I'm single with no kids, but I could have to raise a family or I, there's going to be a point where I am. I, I will always be connected to them, but. It's not going to be long until I step into college and suddenly I am telling my own stories in my own way. And if I am taking those things about hiding, if I'm taking those things about not knowing who I am, if I'm taking all those things that were associated with you as a parent, and, 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 I, and I want to say this gently because it sounds like I'm being derogatory, um, maybe insecurities or fears that parents may have, right? that are attached to who they are as parents that are then poured into their children. If I take those things with me, stepping into college or stepping into the next part of my life, 
you're not doing me any favors. Mm -hmm. you're, 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 you're not doing me any favors. So if you are allowed to, if you are able to, on some level, even when your kids are growing up in middle school and high school, try to get some sort of concept of, it's not gonna be long until these, this, this child is, you know, 27 years old and, and making a decision that is completely unassociated with me. And what am I gonna leave with him or her that's going to allow them to make something that's going to make their heart better, you know, and the people around them better. So in reference to your comment and your question, I can't imagine because I'm not a parent, um, but I know when I look at my niece and nephew, Zoe and Declan, which I talk about in the book, it's important for me to say this. I used to be that guy, um, ladies, that if someone came up to me and went, hey, do you want to see a picture of my um, niece or nephew? I'd be like, no, I wouldn't want to see, I don't want to see a picture of your own kids, let alone, <laughs> like, I was just that guy, right? But once Zoe and Declan, who aren't even my actual real, like, they're, you know, they're my, what they call play nieces and nephews. When I look at Zoe, who's now 11, and I look at Declan, who's eight, oh, man, um, I want to do everything I possibly can to protect these kids. I want to do everything I possibly can to make sure that they're okay. I want Zoe to never get hurt. She's a, they're both white. And so I love the fact I can't wait until she brings home a guy or a girl and they have to deal with big black uncle Ty Ty, right? Like I can't <laughs> wait for that moment, right? Um, I want to do everything I can to protect them. But I could also understand wanting to do everything we possibly can to protect their innocence, to protect their heart, protect who they are. But I feel like if they can watch me love people genuinely, if they can watch me love people honestly, all people, gay, straight, hate, hateful, angry, ang that angry white guy next door who's get off my lawn, <laughs> you know what I mean? If they can watch me love, then some of these things that are secrets to me that I'm afraid may come out or this out of the other, I think they begin to pan themselves out because they get to see who I really, really am. And that to me is the most important thing possible. Tyler has a Facebook page, the Tyler Merritt Project. And if you are not following it, but you want any encouragement in your life, I strongly encourage you to follow it because it is encouraging. It is uplifting. And this, this message sounds so simple. Love people genuinely. This is how we break down barriers. This is how we help our boys move past the boundaries and the gendered expectations and the racial stereotypes and expectations, all these things that have been constructed, right? That, that are attempts really to hold people in and keep them where we want them, where we know how to manage things. We love people genuinely as sharing our whole selves. It's opening our hearts to seeing who somebody really is to recognizing that maybe there's pain underneath that anger. Mm. And really what you were saying goes to something that we say here all the time, Janet, right? Like strategies are great and it'd be wonderful. Tell me these three things to do to raise these great boys. <laughs> we got to start with us. We, the adults have to start with us. 
Mm-hmm. You have to love yourself. You have to begin to accept and integrate those parts of yourself. I mean, yeah. you being able to love others, I'm guessing that when you worked through and accepted some of this, that I can make these mistakes and still be a good and loving person that allowed you to more genuinely love others. 100%. And what I didn't realize until I really sat down to read this book is one of the things that I, that I love so great about when people do get a chance to read it is I walk people through all these different stages of my life, starting from elementary school, right? And then through my college friends, through my high school friends, through my adult friends, through my band playing music and um, through theater friends. And I talk about how it becomes very, very difficult to have all these different types of people in your life and then come on the other side of that and not learn to love people greatly. Like having all this different diversity and all these different individuals with all these different stories, you begin to love people in such different and beautiful and colorful ways that you can't help but to build empathy. You can't help but to come on the other side and be able to look back and go, man, man, I, I have experienced so much love in my life. And I think it's hugely important, um, uh, uh, Jennifer, what you said. One, a biblical principle that people like to just throw out there so, so loosely is love your neighbor as you love thyself or love, you know, and all that. And that's so easy to just say. But if you don't love yourself, you don't know how to love your neighbor properly. You don't know how to love your child mm. properly. If you don't, but the idea of just going, do unto others you would have them do unto you. Well, if you don't realize your worth and don't understand that you need not be treated crappy, you're not going to treat other people that way, right? Mm. So starting with the concept and the idea of the fact that we are worthy of love, no matter what mistakes we've made, no matter how bad our parents may have jacked us up, no matter how bad we have, have jacked people up, understanding that simple piece, especially as a Black man, because bringing it back full circle in the expectations, um, somebody said to me once, Tyler, you, and, and sadly, it was somebody, it was a white friend of mine, said, Tyler, one of the things I love so much about you is that you're never angry. And so you just communicate with me in a way that I, you know, that I'm not afraid of and I can really respond to because you're not coming it to me like the angry guy. And I, I told him, I said, um, I'm like the Incredible Hulk. I'm always angry. <laughs> like as a black man in America, I'm always angry. The Hulk is always there, always. This Bruce Banner that you're seeing here is that I have been able to experience what love feels like for me. I've been able to experience that I'm not doing myself any favors walking around angry all the damn time. I, I have experienced and understood that because you are flawed as well, Broken recognizes broken. I understand that people have taken and stopped me in my tracks to help me learn lessons about love, faith, and all these things. And though I don't owe it to you, I do think we are going to be better people if I take that time of responsibility and do the same thing for you. I say all of that in reference to loving yourself because I have so many reasons as a black man in America, as a black boy in America to give up hope, 
to look at the next day and think, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this through. But once I'm able to stop, Jennifer, and really feel the potential of tomorrow, really think to myself what beauty might be around in the next 48 hours, what wonderful thing might occur because I have simply chosen to just stick around and still be here, what kind of magnificent thing might spring out of the earth because I have decided to get my ass up, then there becomes an excitement about hope. Then there becomes an excitement about the thing that is going to be next. When I was going through all the crap I was going through, I didn't think I was going to write a book about it. No, <laughs> you know what I, I mean? mean? <laughs> you just want that to go away. <laughs> right. Like, let alone that I think, ah, I'm going to probably put these in words for everybody to see at some point. And now through all of that crap that I went through, people are finding hope in themselves because of my stories. And if, and if I could have had some magic genie sit down with me on my bench that day and went, um, you know, in one of the hardest parts of my life when I was walking through the pictures and all the other things, um, I talked about getting fired from the church and all this, you know, if, if I could have had somebody sit down with me, a genie sit down with me and go, hey, Tyler, listen, one of these days, things that you considered mistakes um, are going to be helpful answers to other people. One of these days, the things that have you down the dumps right now that you think that you have broken you forever are going to be the things that are going to help fix some other people. Even if I wasn't able to believe that in that moment, right. just knowing that that was a possibility may have been that thing that helped push me through. And that's my hope, not only for your listeners, but especially young boys that make those boys and girls that make those mistakes um, and, uh, and parents. Right. You know, uh, listeners, I want you to share parts of this episode with your children. This message to hear Tyler say it is even more powerful than you telling them, Hey, I heard this podcast, Just play it for them. They need to hear it. And I want you to hear it for yourself because I am a middle-aged woman who has made mistakes and I am still making mistakes. Right, right. I will continue. But in our flaws, in our brokenness, that's how we can connect with our other humans. When we try and hold ourselves up as perfect, we intimidate people. We keep them away. We keep our children away from us. Mm -hmm. We have to accept acknowledge and love in spite of all of it through all of it love genuinely love deeply look past thank you so much for spending time with us today for sharing your heart your experience that's all that we have we have our hearts and our experience let's share them with the world hey can i say one last thing absolutely no. <laughs> <laughs> um I talk about this in my book and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. And so I want your listeners to hear this and you two to hear this too. Um, we need you to do that individual thing that only you can do. I mean it when I say you are special, you matter, and your own significant thing that only you have is that thing that will help change the world. There are pieces of you of who you are that are just, it's the DNA strand that makes you significant. And it's that singular thing that you have that the world needs. 
that nobody else can produce but you. And my pleading, my, my, my cry for you is to A, buy my book, and then, <laughs> and then do that thing that is only you. Because I do think that we really can change the world, but we can only do it if you do that thing that is just that thing that you have. I picked up work again on my book after reading your book because of that. Love that. I love that. Because of that. And listeners, you know, I write about raising boys. You know, I have um, one book out. The second one, I reached, uh, yeah, I hit some hard points and I was very discouraged. And uh, why? Why am I going to do this? And you told me in your words, in your book, do that thing that only you can do. And so I'm doing it. I love that so much, Jennifer. Buy his book, I Take My Coffee Black by Tyler Merritt. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. You guys are wonderful. We hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Tyler Merritt. And again, if you haven't seen his book, read his book, highly recommend it. Jennifer and I as always, thank you, our listeners worldwide. Thank you for caring about boys and men. And it occurs to me that maybe you haven't actually visited our individual websites. So I encourage you to go to boysalive.com. You can opt in there for a free guide on boys and big emotions. And Jennifer's website is buildingboys.net. And don't forget, she has that amazing subscription to the Building Boys Bulletin. Comes out every Monday. It's the first email I read. She curates information and articles about boys from all over the world. You don't want to miss that. Again, this is On Boys. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.